1: On your Tuesday episode of Locked On Raptors, most people seem to be pretty bullish on this year's Raptors team, myself included, but... There are some smart folks out there who think maybe underachievement could be in the future of the team. And when smart people say things, I take note. And today's smart person on the show to talk about his reservations, if you will, the things that could potentially lead to an underachievement by the Raptors. It's Joe Wolfon from Pound the Rock, one of the smartest hoops observers that there is. We'll talk to him about the Raptors and their chances to overachieve, underachieve, or just kind of come out exactly how we thought coming up on today's episode of Lockdown Raptors. Thanks for hanging. Episode number twelve fifty four of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, October the fourth. I'm your host Sean Woodley of Post Touches, a brand new Toronto Raptors newsletter that you can subscribe to right now. Just go to my pinned tweet and go subscribe, and I will forever be your best friend. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can. Uh, subscribe to the podcast or follow it whatever your app of choice asks you to do for free on all the various podcast apps we are also on youtube for the low low price of on the house as well just hit the big red subscribe button and you have done your job to support the show and uh, made me very happy in the process thanks for being here and thanks making us your first listen of the day all right on today's show we are leading into the toronto raptors season now just a couple of weeks from opening night i guess a week in one day or two weeks in one day it's very exciting times and i'm joined on today's show by joe wolfond of the score joe how are you man
0: I'm doing great. I'm I, I'm sure everybody tuned out after that introduction when you said that I was going to just <laughs> pour cold water on all their hopes and dreams for this season. So, uh, you know, we're just shouting into the ether for the next 45 minutes, but it's good to be here. You're
1: damn right we are. I wanted to bring you on just to put you on a platter for the haters. It's uh, it, it's I appreciate you uh, putting yourself up as tribute like this. No, uh, So yeah, today's episode, we are going to talk about the realm of outcomes in which the Toronto Raptors potentially underachieve this season. I think a lot of the prevailing sentiment from myself, from people who have been on this show, from general observers at large, is that the Raptors are going to be pretty good, probably in that mix along with the Cavaliers and the Hawks and maybe the Heat or the Nets or whoever in that sort of middle tier of the Eastern Conference. And the order kind of depends on your own personal taste. Uh, I tend to think they're going to be kind of near the upper end of that. I think I'm like tentatively penciling them in at like fourth with 51 wins. But I don't want to be too much of a home run on the podcast. And you, Joe, on your recent episode of Pound the Rock with Joe Scavisharo, digging into the potential over and underachievers this season – Note that the Raptors is a potential underachiever, and you are a very smart person on a podcast that is maybe the best podcast covering the NBA, so when you say things, I'm going to at least sort of put my eyebrows up a little bit. And so, Joe, I guess let's just start big and we can kind of go into the particulars of this from, you know, going off of it. But why do you view the Raptors as a team that could potentially underachieve? What is sort of the consensus? And again, it's hard to pin down the consensus. Obviously, this is a very ethereal sort of difficult thing to difficult thing to nail down. But what is your sort of or why do you have some reservations about the Raptors ability to maybe kind of take a forward linear step building upon what they did last year?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the word potential is an important qualifier there. I'm not saying they're going to underachieve. And again, like you mentioned, and like Cash and I mentioned ad nauseum on that episode, it's uh, fairly anecdotal, like what we decided amongst ourselves, the consensus about these teams actually was. Mm -hmm. And I think like if you go and look at the Raptors over under, I think for the most part, they're in like the mid 40s, right? Like 45 and a half, something like that. I feel like they'll probably clear that. Like I I don't think they're going to underachieve to that extent, but I think just in terms of the sentiment that I've seen, this very bullish sentiment of like 50-plus wins, home court team, top three or top four seed, I'm not saying that's not in the cards for them. It's very plausible they could do that, but I think it feels as realistic or maybe even more realistic to me that they maybe just plateau or take a small step back. And mm-hmm. to be clear, I'm like really excited about this team. I think there's a, a good reason to be very excited about them, not just this season, but like, especially long-term. Sure. Like the The pieces are in place for them to be really good for a really long time. So I'm focusing more just on like this coming season and the roster mm-hmm. as it looks right now, which is not necessarily how it's going to look even by the end of this season. And I think we all know that they're, pretty well positioned if they do want to make some kind of a consolidation trade you know, upgrade mm-hmm. the roster if they feel like they're close. Um, but I think, okay. So for starters, I don't know that enough has been made of just how difficult what they accomplished last season really was. Right. right. And it's like, this is something I talked about even last year, but to put some numbers on it, they were 28th in two-point percentage,
3: mm-hmm.
0: 20th in three-point percentage, mm-hmm. 23rd in three-point attempt rate, 25th yep. in free-throw attempt rate, Gross. 26th in rim frequency, Mm-mm. dead last in assist rate. Like, mm-hmm. just not a lot of indicators of good offensive process. And as those numbers you know, will tell you in case you couldn't see it with your own eyes, they were objectively a bad shot-making team like Mm -hmm. one of the worst in the league, in fact. And it's not like they made up for that with some perfectly optimized shot diet. And yet somehow they finished 15th in offensive (laughs) efficiency. Like the numbers, like they almost don't compute. Um, And so you look for the kind of like what made that happen, what made that work. And, uh, you know, something I wrote about and talked about a lot last season, but like they had this gargantuan possession advantage where they were taking... Seven, they they got seven more shooting possessions a game than their opponents did yeah. essentially by turning their opponents over a ton taking very good care of the basketball themselves so winning the turnover differential by a lot and then grabbing a, a boatload of offensive rebounds and like very few teams in nba history have gotten to that number plus seven in shooting possessions like that's just super rare mm-hmm. and they do have the personnel to to pull that off like there is a reason they were able to do it but i just think it's asking a lot for them to be able to do that again and when i look at the things like the areas where they were deficient that forced them to have to do all that stuff in order to just be an average nba offense i don't know that they've addressed that stuff to the point that like they're going to be able to to get to where they got to offensively last season without doing that, you know, historically rare thing where, mm-hmm. you know, not just are they, you know, getting all these offensive rebounds, which totally they can do that again. They can be a low turnover team again, in part because they don't move the ball a ton. Like they ran a ton of <laughs> isolations. Like that's, yeah. I think that's by design. Um, so they can do that again, but uh, t- can they do that, that again to the extent that they did it? And then, you know, on top of that, Like, can they find the same offense defense balance in trying to get once again to that gargantuan possession advantage? Because another historically rare thing they did last year was they were second in offensive rebound rate and first in suppressing opponent transition chances, Mm -hmm. which like on one hand, those two things kind of do go hand in hand, where if you're just crashing the hell out of the glass, the other team possibly
1: Can't grab was, and go
3: yeah
0: <laughs> going to be concerned a little bit yeah about like protecting their own glass and they're going to keep guys back and they're not going to leak out as much but on the other hand if you're like sending that many guys to the glass you're going to be usually compromised in transition and the raptors managed to avoid that fate so there's all these things like it was just a real high wire act and to replicate it is going to be really difficult and it feels in a lot of ways like they're going to have to replicate it to once again be, you know, a functional offensive team, because the limitations that were here last season are, are, for the most part, still here, barring some crazy internal development, which, again, is super plausible. You know, like, yeah. it, I think Scotty Barnes potentially has that kind of a leap in him, Um mm-hmm can it come from anywhere else on the roster? I mean, that's a big question I have precious Achua is maybe the next guy I would go to where mm-hmm. a leap from him could change the dynamic a lot. But I, I think it feels to me like there are more ways that I don't want to say go wrong because I think they're going to be a playoff team, you know, very possibly in the top six and avoid the in. So mm-hmm. go wrong is maybe not the, the best way to put it, but like there are more ways that this can like turn out to be a plateau type season than, than, avenues that I can see leading to them like taking this big step forward yeah I mean I think the internal development thing is something
1: they're betting on enormously right and like that's a lot to hope for development's not always linear we don't know if we're going to see the precious Achua we saw after the all-star break or if like the wild precious Achua roller coaster ride is going to come back and be part of our day-to-day lives once again and as great as Scotty Barnes is and as great as I think he's going to be, asking him to make an enormous leap when it comes to shot creation, you know, improve his three-point shooting, all the things that they'll need to kind of iron out a little bit more of their offensive warts, like that is a lot to put on a guy who's 20 years old still or just turned 21 and is, you know, not everyone makes that crazy leap in year two and sometimes it takes to year three or four and that's totally fine. Um, I I guess my optimism comes in from the idea that last year's Highwire act was extremely difficult to pull off and they did it with like six guys that nick nurse trusted and it just kind of feels like there's more dudes this year mm-hmm. to rely upon like You know, Precious feels a little bit more of a reliable, like, okay, you kind of know what you'll get from him every night type of guy. Boucher obviously reformed his entire identity as a player throughout the year last season. Uh, And then you bring in Otto Porter Jr. And Thad Young's going to have a little bit more time schooled within the system. And maybe you start to get year two contributions from a Delano Banton or a Justin Champagny or whomever. And it just kind of feels like they're not going to be in a situation where they're doing that high wire act with... The same six guys, or you know, variations of six of the nine guys that they kind of trust throughout the year. Like, it just feels like they have more on hand to pull that off with, and maybe that gives me a little more optimism that they can replicate what they did last year while also having maybe a slightly better offense to kind of balance out the whole thing. I want to dig into that in just a second here, Joe, and sort of. We talked about this last week, ways the Raptors can improve their offense with their pal, Lewis Atzman. I kind of want to get your thoughts on that and, you know, how good of an offense will they have to be in order for them to, you know, maybe find a little bit more balance and not have to ride that high wire so badly or so so narrowly all season long. We'll get to that in just one sec. But first, want to tell you about our friends over at Built.com. They're making built bars, baby. They're the best tasting protein bars you can buy. And of course, they have gotten into the marshmallow puff game as well. They are decadent, they are tasty, they are sweet, and they are not bad for you at all. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. You get real cookie dough chunks in their new cookie dough chunk puff flavor and only 160 calories in your standard puff bar along with 15 grams of protein and that's collagen protein, baby. It's the good stuff that your body needs in order to, uh, you know, build things and processes and whatever. I'm not a biologist, but collagen protein I know is good for you. You can go and snag yourself a box for you and the family. It's the perfect treat or you can find a really good hiding place and just hide them for yourself as well. I know I have have shame stashes of food all over the place because i'm a monster and built bars are certainly one of them you're going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff and they have all the wonderful flavors that you know and love as well my favorites cookies cookies and cream lately been really digging those they sent me a box they're really really fantastic go to built.com use the promo code locked on 15 and get 15 percent off your order that's the promo code locked on 15 for 15 percent off at built.com
2: Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: And we continue on here talking about the Raptors and their potential to disappoint and how much of a hater Joe is uh, with Joe Wolfond of Pound the Rock. I kid. We love Joe. He's the smartest. Uh, So, the Raptors offense, you know, a big reason for their high-wire style of play last year is that they just kind of had to do it, because the offense, as you mentioned, you read off all the numbers, was stinky. It was really bad, and even in transition, they weren't very good at actually scoring when they got on the run. They just did it so much that the volume piled up at a reasonably high clip, and they were able to kind of scrape by and finished, you know, depending on the site you use, I think Clean the Glass had them like 15th or 16th. Some people as low as 18 Uh, either way they were not an upper crust offense by any means but they kind of pushed into the average range because of the way they played on the margins and so I guess Joe, like, are you looking for them to find more of a balance where they maybe have to play less of a high wire style defense where they're so aggressive all the time in order to get on the run? Or do you think there's you know, that's kind of part of the charm of this Raptors team, and maybe they should stick with that and keep the offense as simplified as possible? Like I'm just kind of curious, like, do you see any avenues to them kind of finding a little bit more balance in what was you know, again, they on the high wire, they were balanced in a way, but it felt yeah. like it was precarious at all times.
0: Well, I think that's part of the reason that I'm having some of these reservations is I don't know that I see the avenue to them achieving that balance necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, Otto Porter is a great addition just for his shooting. And I think it's very nice to have a knockdown shooter like him who's going to have gravity, I think, as a spot-up guy and isn't going to compromise the defense, which,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know, is not something you can necessarily say about Gary Trent Um, you know, despite his sticky hands and the the turnovers that he generates and how that fed into the Raptors style of play. uh, I think you saw, you know, especially in the latter stages of that first round series, just how exploitable he is. And also just like with the, with the gambling and what goes into him being able to get a lot of those steals, like when he didn't come up with them, you know, the Raptors were in scramble mode and even more Mm -hmm. so than, they like to be, which <laughs> yeah. I mean, they like to be in scramble mode, but maybe not to that extent. So, you know, I think they're like I i have advocated for years for just like more Siakam as a role man, like involve him in yeah. the pick and roll more often on either end of it. I yep. think he's a terrific pick and roll ball handler, and especially if you're running inverted stuff with him. I mean, that's really what you want. Um, and him and Lowry
1: was like a unstoppable force, like full-on buckets and every him time and Fred, they ran uh, him it in 2019-20 year.
0: Totally, but h- him and yeah. Fred is, you know, potentially just as good. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, Van Vliet is as good, if not better, catch-and-shoot three-point shooter than Lowry ever was.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that can really work because, you know, the, the sort of best option for guarding that, I know Samson wrote about this recently, but like, the best option for guarding that is to switch, but like you give Siakam a, a big on small switch and he's going to find a way to cook it. Yeah. So I I just like that setup. And then like, you know, you can essentially force the defense into that same difficult decision by putting him on the other end of that. But they, for whatever reason, have been pretty reluctant, I think to use him as a role man. Hmm. And I also think like, you know, he hasn't always shown the ability to do it just in terms of like setting the solid screen in the first place and finding the pacing on the sure. roll. but if he's able to nail that timing down I mean he really does have the skill set that would make him an almost perfect role man because he's so good in the middle of the floor as a scorer or as a passer
3: mm-hmm. he
0: has that push shot that you know that in-between game we saw that toward the end of last season to a ridiculous degree just how <laughs> money he was from like you know, 10 to 16 feet, Yeah, he has that in his pocket to, to beat like a deep drop or if it's a blitz, like he obviously, you know, either he's going to have a runway to the rim or he's going to draw a tagger from the corner and we know that he has the passing ability to, you know, if that happens, spray it out and find open shooters. So
3: mm-hmm.
0: I would like to see more of that. Uh, it, it's, it's just tough because, uh, you know, apart from that, it's... And then maybe there is like Precious was really poor as a role man last year yeah but maybe there is more of an opportunity you know for him to step into that role as well I just it's it's tough in this day and age to get by and I think obviously you know the the example that everyone will want to cite is the Warriors like they don't run a pick and roll oriented offense and they can still obviously blow teams off the court with their offensive firepower but like that's a Steph Curry thing. You know, like that's not a warrior's thing as much as, as it's just a Steph thing. And without the benefit of that to, to be as pick and roll averse as the Raptors were last season and craft a functional half court offense is really hard (laughs) to do, but it's, it's not as much a scheme issue. I don't think as it is a personnel issue. Like they just, you know, Fred's like an average at best pick and roll guard and they don't really have a, you know any quality rim runners like barring you know precious's ability to sort of become that player and so that makes it tough um but i think in general just like finding finding ways to apply more rim pressure like i mentioned 26th in rim frequency and like take out the offensive rebounds i don't know how to filter for that on any of like the tracking sites but (laughs) i wonder what it would be if you filtered out offensive rebounds Yeah, and looked at like because it would probably be dead last in the league. Like they need, they need to find a way to put more pressure on the rim. I think, and maybe that just does come down to not necessarily like putting the ball in Siakam's hands more, but like finding more advantageous positions for him once you do get the ball in his hands, rather than just sort of um, you know letting him face up or ISO or um, you know all the different ways that they kind of relied on him to create something out of nothing you know, maybe mm-hmm. finding just more ways to create advantages for him and get him going downhill because he does that have that ability and not that many other guys on the team do. For sure. And I
1: guess the guy that you look at thinking, hey, oh, maybe he can kind of take on some of that burden is Scotty Barnes. And, you know, I, I think you know he was one of the better Raptors getting to the rim last year. He was one of the better Raptors scoring at the rim last year. Do you envision... Like a way in which he can kind of help solve that at-rim issue, which is, again, what Nick Nurse talked about as one of the things they want to focus on this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you could look at it a few ways, right? Like, if he's a pick-and-roll ball handler, he's going downhill, like, he's pretty tough to stay in front of. Even if guys can stay in front of him, he can kind of maneuver his way around with his long strides in a sort of herky-jerky game, and that can kind of give him avenues to the rim, and maybe that kind of opens up Pascal for a little bit more in terms of, like, second-side actions. You know, you kick yeah. it to Pascal and he's attacking a closeout maybe that helps you there or you know if the raptors continue to go with this starting small lineup of uh, scotty kind of is the nominal five or Pascal is the nominal five I don't really know who they sort of deem as the five it seems like it's scotty a lot of the time like do you envision maybe scotty being like a role piece that they can kind of groom along obviously you know he did a lot of different things wore all of the different hats last year i don't know if we have enough data to say oh he can be a good role man or he's kind of showing signs that that's something he can do but do you envision Scotty Barnes being an avenue to that and I guess you know kind of on top of that how does the small starting five do you think play into the issues or maybe it's a solution I I I've kind of grown cool on that lineup but I'm curious what you're mm-hmm. where you're at with that and sort of Barnes's role in it all
0: Yeah so that's part of an interesting push and pull I think where On one hand, you think, okay, like you have maybe more of a traditional big man in the starting lineup. Presumably, that would grant you like a a little bit more of that north south element if you are a pick and roll team. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: But if the Raptors aren't going to be that pick and roll team, or at least not to a degree that would make them like one of the more effective pick and roll teams in the league, then really, and I know like, We saw what Precious did as a shooter in the second half of last season, and we're all, you know, somewhat optimistic that he can replicate it because he did it on volume and the Mm -hmm. stroke looks pretty smooth and he's shooting it with confidence, all that stuff. Even if he comes back and does what he did, which is, you know, shoot close to 37% on like four attempts per game after the All-Star break. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he'll he'll draw some closeouts that he's able to attack to get to the basket, which is huge for him.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: like that simplifies things for him on offense so much but it's not really improving the raptor spacing sure like ultimately if you want maximal spacing like you have to have trent in that lineup and therein lies the conundrum yeah and ultimately like if you want to solve the rim frequency issue like it has to start with being able to space the floor and i might i i, I I don't know, actually. It depends how you want to get to that, right? Like, do sure. you want to get to it by just playing bully ball and crashing the hell out of the offensive glass, and that's that's how you do it? Or do you want to get it by opening up some driving lanes for for your ball handlers to get downhill? Like, I guess mm-hmm. there are a couple ways to go about it, and maybe maybe it doesn't need to be uh, via spacing because, again, it's like last season, part of the reason that they had this sky-high offensive rebound rate is, they, you know, they would play like – legitimately sometimes five in zero out lineups where Mm -hmm. (laughs) why would we bother stationing anybody above the break when nobody's going to guard them out there anyway let's instead have like four guys below the free throw line and then we're just gonna make this team uncomfortable by sending all of them to the glass and i don't know like that's that's what is so fascinating to me about this team is like i guess there are a couple different ways that they could they could get to, you know, like a higher rim volume. Um, and I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer, but um, you're, you, it's always going to be a trade-off. That's part of the problem. Like there, there are no lineups where all of those box get boxes, get ticked yeah. and you have all the solutions in front of you. You're always sort of like giving something up to get to something else, which is true of a lot of teams. Like I don't want to, there there are no teams with perfect roster construction um, and very few teams that can roll out sort of like a perfectly optimized lineup that mm-hmm. does tick all those boxes. But I think among teams that are hoping to get into that echelon of contenders, it feels like a particularly big problem for the Raptors in terms of, uh, you know, the trade-off between strengths and limitations.
1: It makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're going to continue up, around at this conversation on the Raptors' potential underachievement with Joe in just one second. I'm also going to put Joe on the spot as I have all of our recent guests uh he doesn't know this is coming baby it's very exciting well they'll get to that in just one sec but a uh, reminder that in in the meantime as you uh you know listen to our show and explore the locked on universe go and check out locked on blue jays as the blue jays have clinched home field in the first round of the playoffs baby it's very exciting and uh ben shulman and matt bonaparte over there are breaking down every single game for you leading into the postseason go check out locked on blue jays wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube
2: Locked on NBA available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day.
1: All right, Joe. So I guess the thing I can't get over every time I like potentially take a couple wins away. I have a little spreadsheet going where I have all the wins tallied up adding all to the number that you need over the course of a full season to make it all count. Um, Every time I think about taking a few wins and knocking the Raptors down a couple, I just keep coming back to the idea that, like, Nick Nurse just finds a way to win games with the things that he has on hand, and they're extremely annoying to play. The first preseason game, a wonderful example of this, it's the first preseason game, and they're, like, making Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton second-guess second guess their career choices. Like, they're, they're just exhausting, and... I think you can argue that maybe the sort of playoff validity of what they do can be called into question, but I kind of just think the recipe they have is going to lead to a lot of regular season wins just because other teams are just like, it's human nature. It's like, really? You're going to make me work harder for this right now, right? Like it it just, I I don't know. Where are you at on the idea that, the raptors just maybe kind of defy their weaknesses because they try really hard like i know that's very reductive and simple but like 82 games of a season I think that is a factor that determines how things play out. And, you know, is that a bad thing when you're trying to evaluate the team as a whole? Because if you win 52 games because you're super annoying, but get to the playoffs and it doesn't work, like, what have you actually accomplished? Like, I don't know. I have a hard time sort of reckoning Mm. with the whole they always hit the over of it all. But that seems to be kind of the prevailing sentiment with this team.
0: Yeah, and I think that sort of gets at a, a broader question which is, you know, what is overachievement and what does underachievement even look like for this team? And that's, you know, something that I've wrestled with and I'm not really sure. Like, because I totally could see them racking up 52 regular season wins, but it's all a bit of smoke and mirrors and and it's sort of exposed in the playoffs. And to take it back to something that you were mentioning earlier about how, okay, well, you know, the Raptors were doing all this. They got to 48 wins with like a six-man rotation last year. Well... Did that I mean did that hurt them or did that hinder them like mm-hmm. the fact that they were basically playing a playoff rotation from game one sure. probably helped pad their win total and yeah it probably also contributed to the fact that Fred van Vliet was a husk of himself by the end of the season <laughs> so maybe it, mm-hmm. maybe it hindered them in the playoffs right and like what what are the goals and what should the goals be for this team like are they I mean I don't know. Like, I th- like last season, what what was the impetus for chasing every conceivable regular season win? Was it just to prove that they could do it? Was it that like, I think they wanted to they avoid, said it. avoid the play-in at all costs? Like, what? Like, Masai, and
1: I think they all said it. It was like, this is our chance to get real reps, because we don't know how long we're going to be in the playoffs. And, like, I think that was a totally reasonable thing for them to say. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. playing regular season games is not the same as the playoffs, but, like, they were getting real, like, high leverage reps in close games, lots of clutch minutes, stuff like that. And I think they saw value in that because they knew they weren't going to be a three-round playoff team. Right. Which obviously might change this year. Maybe that's less of a consideration. Maybe they have higher designs in the postseason. I don't know if that's necessary. Like, I kind of think you lose in the first round again this year, depending on the manner of it. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing, necessarily. Like, they still have time here. Scotty Barnes
0: is a child. Like, I don't know. Well yeah, and it's like okay, so look around the Eastern Conference and you're thinking, you know, one of like the the Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, Raptors, Cavs, Heat, Hawks. I'm sure there's a team in there that I'm forgetting, but like one of those like four of oh, those the teams Nets, are going to be a fake
1: team that stinks <laughs> and is going to be bad. I'm calling it now.
0: I don't think they're going to win a lot of games, but hey, that's just me. <laughs> Uh, yeah I mean like, definitely the the largest variance in potential outcomes, I think for that team. yeah that's fair but four like four of those teams are gonna make it out of the first round, you know, mm-hmm. and if those four teams are like Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, and Cleveland, and the Raptors go down in the first round, like I don't think there's gonna be any shame in losing to one of those four teams
3: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah i I mean I agree, I think what you want to see is just some kind of growth in some area or other, you know, whether that's Mm -hmm. on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive process, or like, you want to know that they're building towards something. And I think that, you know, like there's a universe in which the team sort of plateaus as a whole, like wins 48 games again, loses Mm -hmm. in the first round again. And there is still a lot of progress shown, you know, whether that is just individual player progress, you know, like a leap from Barnes steps forward from Precious, Pascal backing up what he did in the second half of last season, like all that could happen and they could still lose in the first round. And I don't think it would be a failure by any means. So Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I think, you know, when, when I say underachievement, I I feel like I'm reacting more to, uh, the, you know, maybe the Raptors echo chamber, like the (laughs) unbridled (laughs) optimism that
1: I've
3: seen in certain parts (laughs) of
0: the internet,
1: but You couldn't talk. Uh, You can't possibly be talking about the locked on Raptors comment section
0: now, could you? mm. There's no way. (laughs) Yeah. So look, I this to me is what makes them one of the most fascinating teams in the league. Is like, what are they going to be? What do they want to be? Where do they take this? Because it's hard to suss out intent here. Like, Mm -hmm. what you know when I when I talk about like all the stuff that they did to to essentially. Patch together the 48 win team that they did last year is like, do they want to try and do that again? Like, even if that was a a repeatable formula, is that what they want to try to do again? Uh, Or do they want to try and do something that maybe feels a little bit more sustainable, something that could bring them success if they had a little bit different personnel group, not the, Mm -hmm. not the kind of personnel group that was capable of running up and down the floor, you know, for some of these guys, like 40 plus minutes a night, game after game, after game, just being an absolute pain in the ass to play. um, You know, maybe they're like searching for a way to do something that just feels like a little bit more sustainable over the course of a regular season and into the playoffs. Um, Sure. That's, that's kind of what I'm going to be watching for. And that's what's, you know, in part um, like what, when you ask what what is the starting lineup going to be and uh, you know ultimately I think we're all kind of wondering do they have designs on adding like a traditional center or just a traditional rim protector
3: mm-hmm. to this
0: group and what would that mean for the style of defense that they play uh, like I think it it seems clear just based on how frequently they play pop up in rumors about potentially available centers, that that's something Mm -hmm. that they're thinking about.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for them, it's like, uh, you know, we're not going to waste our center spot on someone who doesn't tangibly increase our ceiling. But if like a guy out there exists who can do that, then yeah, we'll, we'll alter the way we've built the team. At least that's kind of how I read it. Uh, One last one I have for you here, Joe. Sort of on the potential of them over under achieving whatever like I I feel like maybe the defense is almost being slept on a little bit like it was number 10 in the league last year it almost like it barely scraped into into 10th it was you know bottom half of the league for the longest time to start the year and they kind of figured it out as it went along Mm -hmm. Like, is there maybe a world where they're just like a top five defense and it's good enough to carry a middling offense and the defense you feel maybe is a little bit more sustainable in the playoffs just because they've held it up at such a high standard over the course of a regular season? Like, is there a way here in which they just become the team upon which everything is built on their defense and like, it's just kind of undeniable and like, yeah, I guess they're good. Their defense is one of the best in the league.
0: Yeah, there, there's definitely a universe where that happens. I mean, I'll maybe lay out the case for in a game spat. Like sure. one, if we're looking at uh, you know encouraging signs, that 10th place ranking is dragged down by I can't remember was it November, or December, one of the months of the dead last season, where, for a month. Yeah, where they were dead last in defense because they were trying to implement this hyper frenetic help heavy defensive system. Mm -hmm. with a bunch of young players and inexperienced players and just guys who hadn't run it before. And there Mm -hmm. were a lot of slip ups on account of that. And And the guy most schooled in it, missing the first 10 games and kind of figuring
1: his stuff out after that.
0: Yeah. So I think by the end of the season, they were way better at it. It also got torn to shreds in the first round of the playoffs. So what do you do with that? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think Fred being a shell of himself was a big part of that. Like, yes. Such a, such a difference having like peak Fred versus shell of Fred at the point of attack. That wasn't everything, but that was part of it. So that, like that's kind of the optimistic view is like now they're practiced at it. Now they have all this continuity because they're bringing back a very similar roster. And so you think they'll just be better at it from Jump Street and they'll just get that much better as the season progresses. The downside is, and this is again where I get into like are you going to make some tweaks or are you going to be doing the same thing that you did last year? Because if you're doing the same thing last year and the rest of the league has seen it and scouted it and knows it's coming, it's not that hard to scheme around. Sure. And it kind of gets into sort of a bigger philosophical point that I've been chewing on, which is, and it was like really hit home for me. Uh, I was, I think it was Mike Prada was was. Uh, talking on with with Samson on the Raptors Republic podcast, saying, "I don't actually think the Raptors were a versatile defense last year. They just did this sort of versatile thing all the time. I, that might they were the steam whistle
1: but... brewery of defenses. Did one thing really, really
0: well. <laughs> exactly. And so, like, yeah, they could do a lot of different things on a given possession, mm-hmm. but over the course of a game, like the scheme didn't change all that much, and it didn't matter the opponent. Like, even if you know, they could be playing against a team with like no real pull up threats and they would still be like ambushing the ball when a guy was coming around a screen uh, just because that was their scheme and that was how they were going to play. And I think in general and it and it sort of feeds into this idea of, you know, vision six, nine and like, no, this is how we want to build the team um, or at least that like conception of the front office's goals or ambitions like versus. No, it would actually really help to have like a seven footer in the middle who you could play conventional drop defense with. Like, Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the league today is that in order to have a versatile defense, you need to have all these like sized players who do similar things as opposed to, you know, like maybe the most versatile defense that I've seen in the last decade started. Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry and Mark Gasol. And one of the least versatile defenses that I've seen was like the micro ball rockets where like PJ Tucker was the center and everybody was the same size and they could switch everything, but that's all they could do. That's all Mm -hmm. they did. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like not quite that simple. Like they had a lot of, you know, help principles baked into that too, but they didn't like, they had versatile individual defenders, but they didn't have any versatility of scheme essentially. Sure. So yeah, I think about that. And I think ultimately to to maybe maximize the defensive ceiling of the team, just given like the individual defensive talent on hand might require a little bit of a roster shakeup at some point in time, Mm -hmm. because I do worry a little bit about diminishing returns with the style of defense that they're repeatedly playing. Makes total sense. And honestly, I think, To go back to the idea of like, what is a
1: a a successful season? Like, I kind of think part of that is figuring out the guys who are part of the team post whatever shakeup might be necessary down the line. And maybe it's so good, maybe they're so incredible that it's just like, yeah, we're gonna roll with this. Vision six foot nine is future basketball baby, and that's it. Um, Or they get some answers this year. Like, I think answers is kind of the thing you want this year as to like the viability of this going forward you kind of know you got scotty barnes no matter what it is and if you want him you got pascal and you've got og and you've got fred you know i will talk about gary Trent jr i'm sure at another time on this podcast i'm very intrigued by him this season and what happens with him but um yeah i I think coming to the end of the season and kind of knowing what the organization's stance is on the viability of vision six foot nine is just as important as the win total or the playoff advancement or anything like that when it comes to the long-term outlook. Um, Joe, let's round it out here. I've been putting all of my guests in the lead-up to the season on the spot. I'm just looking for your strongest-held Toronto Raptors opinion right now, like a thing, maybe it's contrarian, maybe it's a thing that you've just been kind of ruminating on, maybe it's in line with everybody else, and you just really, really believe it. What is the strongest Raptors belief that you hold here on October the 4th as the season's just a couple weeks away?
0: Uh wow. Um my strongest held Raptors belief. Man, I feel <laughs> I feel like my Raptors takes are all I mean my takes in general I guess are all fairly nuanced.
3: They so, very much
1: uh, are. That's why we love you, Joe. That's why we go 45 minutes every time you're on the podcast. It's the best.
0: <laughs> um so I'm trying to reach back for something uh a little bit more more forceful here but i guess my strongest held belief is that ultimately if they want to take the next step they need to do something about the defensive scheme because i think you know ultimately it goes back to the point that i was making about versatility like you can't Mm just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I think there is certainly a pathway for them to, you know, construct it. I don't even know that necessarily like the roster needs to change all that much, Mm -hmm. but I would just like to see a little bit more flexibility in terms of like the way that they choose to defend and Mm -hmm. maybe scale back the aggressiveness a bit, maybe mix in, a little bit more, you know, conservative coverages, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, look, they're going to activity is is still going to be the hallmark of the defense. And that's fine. Like you can, you can switch with activity. You can play drop with activity. Um, Like if you watch the bucks defense, for instance, like they will play a deep drop, but they'll still be bringing in, you know, pretty aggressive tag help from the corners like their their principles are there, but They're applying those principles to a bunch of different schemes. So I think my my strongest held Raptors belief is like, ultimately, we're going to need to see that from them in order for them to, uh, you know, get to where they're trying to get to.
3: Yeah,
1: Nick Nurse's stubbornness on this issue might be the single most important thing going into the season uh, to sort of determine what it's going to look like. And like, there's totally a world in which last year was all right. We're going to start with the really hard stuff, and then we'll have the easy stuff kind of layered in after that, or the easier right. stuff or the less aggressive stuff. And maybe it's just sort of like a you know, you start difficult and work your way back, as opposed to the other way. Um, yeah. You know, but that's then all totally you know, but yeah.
0: We, we can take it back to like the conversation about offense defense balance right and if sure if the half court offense remains bottom five in the league which it was last year like mm-hmm. you know first shot half court offense 26th in the nba which is like no other playoff team was remotely that low well mm-hmm. then maybe you can't afford to play conservative defense like you have to be creating all those turnovers to keep yourself out of the half court so those two things do go hand in hand but I think Mm -hmm. together, hand in hand, those things need to change to the point that uh, they can be a little bit more flexible. For sure.
1: Joe, this was awesome. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on to share your thoughts and to put yourself in the firing line of the crazy Raptors fans who think they're a championship contender or nothing else. Uh, (laughs) I think a little bit more of a reasonable opinion here on the official locked on Raptors canon, but that's all right. Uh, Joe, where can people check out your
0: awesome work? Uh, all my stuff is at the score, um, the, the mobile app or the website, uh, I share most of it on Twitter and, uh, you can find me there at Joey underscore W. Um, and you can listen to pound the rock, which is my weekly and during the season, twice weekly NBA podcast with Joseph Cacharo, where we talk some Raptors, but we cover the entire league. So. Uh, If you are interested in hearing about 29 other teams, then tune into that uh, whenever you see fit.
1: I don't think there is a single NBA podcast that covers the entire league with the um, completeness of you and Cash. And I don't like throwing compliments out Cash's way, but you gotta like give the bat packs back pats when they're due. It's a fantastic show. Go listen to Pound of the Rock. Uh, go read all of Joe's stuff as well. You can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. You can follow, subscribe to Rate and Review the Podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to YouTube and subscribe over there. And you can go and subscribe to my new newsletter, Post Touches, which will have my first post up on uh in your inboxes this Friday. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, in the meantime, go listen to Locked blue jays as we mentioned ben and matt getting you set for the postseason probably the mariners at this point but hey the mariners keep losing to bad teams maybe it's the rays either way the jays are the favorites and that rocks go check it out and we'll talk to you again on wednesday with another episode of lockdown raptors Bye bye